Hello and welcome to 5-Minute Flashbacks presented by 4-1 History. On this show, we'll have short accounts on a variety of different stories from the past. Our first flashback is brought to you by Ben Cantwell and Abdullah Mokhtar, who studied the Islamic Golden Age. Hello and welcome to our 5-Minute Flashback. Today we will be speaking about the Islamic Golden Age as our first topic. The Islamic Golden Age refers to a period in the history of Islam which is dated from the 8th century to the 13th century. It is widely believed that the Islamic Golden Age truly began with the collapse of the Umayyad Caliphate, caused by the invasion of the Abbasid Caliphate in 750 CE. This dynasty lasted until 1258 CE, when the Mongols invaded Baghdad. This was a period of cultural, economic and scientific flourishing in the history of Islam. The Islamic Golden Age may have started in and around 800 AD, but the rise of Islam as a religion began in 622 AD. This was established by the Prophet Muhammad in Medina in Saudi Arabia. As time passed, the Muslim population began to grow rapidly, as at the time most of the population was made up of nomadic peoples, and so the believers from Medina could incorporate the lands and people into their expanding empire, and this led eventually to the growth of the individual caliphs of the larger Islamic dynasty. Many modern-day mathematical and scientific theories, instruments and algorithms can be attributed to this period. One of the Abbasid Empire's biggest achievements early on into their reign was the construction of the new centre of learning, Baghdad. Baghdad was the perfect location for a city of this importance, as it lay on two rivers while not being in a floodplain. This gave it the advantage of having the agricultural output to sustain a great population while rarely, fe- while rarely feeling the impact of flooding. This mostly famously influ- in influential caliphs of this period were Al-Mansur, Al-Rashid and Al-Ma'mun. Two of these, Al-Rashid and Al-Ma'mun, helped found the second greatest achievement of the Islamic Golden Age, this being the House of Wisdom. The House of Wisdom was founded as a centre for international scholars of Muslim, Christian and even Jewish descent descent to come and learn, teach and research. A wide range of languages were spoken in Baghdad and the House of Wisdom, some of them being of course Arabic, Farsi, Aramic, Hebrew, Syriac, Greek, Latin and Sanskrit. The House of Wisdom remained as a centre of learning in the world for over 400 years until it was brutally destroyed and the four centuries of knowledge were burned by the Mongol horde in 1258. Very little archaeological evidence remains to prove its existence, but due to the vast amount of references to it, scholars, works from the time point given out to history, historians' confidence that it existed. Some of the most important inventions of this period include gunpowder, paper mills, improved means of industrializing glass, ceramics, clocks, mosaics, the astrolabe and other astronomical instruments. Much of modern mathematics, including algebra, created and improved by Muhammad ibn Musa al-Khwarizmi, Abu al-Wafa al-Buzjani, created much of modern geometry, including the still widely used sine, cosine, tangent, cotangent, sectant, and cosectant geometric measures and algorithms, which should be a familiar sight for many junior cert and leaving cert students at the moment. And finally, Omar Khayyam invented the triangular array of binomial coefficients, 
which sounds like gobbledygook to everyone except for maths teachers, but most people would recognise what it looks like. Other than these mathematical, technological and medical advancements, Baghdad and the wider Arabic empire was a cultural hub of the world, where many poets, authors and artists came to spread their work and name, as well as learn. At the time, the Arab scholars were heavily influenced by the ancient Greeks and Romans, and so much of the literature of the time was going through the translation movement, where Arab scholars that were multilingual would find copies of the ancient Greek and Roman scripture, poetry and literature. They would translate it into Arabic and then interpret the filler words that didn't exist in Arabic. When it comes to original Arabic scripture and prose, the most famous scholar of the time would have to have been a man that went by the name of Jahiz, or Al-Jahiz. He is cited as transforming Arabic literature away from the set rules and boundaries of Persian styles towards the Greek forms, and this forced Arabic prose and poetry to become more attractive to the West and help integrate the early Abbasid caliphs into the Western world, eventually helping spread the knowledge flowing from Baghdad into the modern Western teachings. The fall of the Abbasid Caliphate can be mainly attributed to the increasing power of the surrounding local caliphates, along with the corruption of the army officers who had a system of assassinating any caliph that did not fall to their demands. The Abbasid Caliphate was overthrown and restored several times over the two centuries until eventually the Mongol horde destroyed the Abbasid Caliphate after the siege of Bang Baghdad in 1258. Later on in the 13th and 14th century, the remains of the Abbasids founded a small caliphate located in Egypt, but their power never came close to the influence of, at their peak. Eventually, the Abbasid caliphate faded into the pages of ancient history. Next up, we have Sam Lynham and Robert Kinnear, who studied the Battle of the Somme. The Battle of the Somme was a battle fought in World War I between German forces and both the British and French forces, and it lasted from July 1st, 1916 to November 19th, 1916. The Battle of the Somme had over one million casualties in the span of just over four months, making it the bloodiest battle in documented history. The first day of the battle went down as the bloodiest in the British Army's history, as nearly 20,000 soldiers were killed, and the majority of them died in the first hour of the battle. The Battle of the Somme was also the first battle where tanks were used, which is a likely cause for the unbelievably high death toll of 300,000 people, including 3,500 Irish citizens. During the battle, in an attempt to encourage his troops to push forward, Captain Wilfred Neville gave each of his four platoons a football and offered a prize to whichever platoon could land the ball in the German trenches first. On the 24th of June 1916, the British began a seven-day preliminary bombardment under the leadership of General Sir Douglas Hague. Haig. Haig's artillery was expected to destroy the German defences and guns and cut the barbed wire in front, of the German, in front of the German lines. When the attack began, it would provide a barrage behind which the infantry could advance. The British believed that the Germans would be so shattered by this bombardment that the infantry could rush over and occupy their trenches. General Haig ordered a week-long artillery bombardment of more than a million shells starting on June 24th. The hail of the shells was intended to wipe out the German barbed wire, frontline trenches, artillery and morale of the German army. By the end of this bombardment, the soldiers believed that the German lines were destroyed and they began to slowly walk over towards the trenches. However, they did not realize that the Germans waited out the seven days in their dugouts and 
wired bar- barricades remained largely intact. When the Allies approached the trenches, they were bombarded by German machine guns, which slaughtered the soldiers. The battle approached its conclusion in late 1916 when American forces attempted to seize the La Transloy Ridge. Hagen's forces attempted to do this a month prior, but heavy rain held them back from claiming the high ground. The Battle of Ancre began at the 13th of November 1916. The main goal of this battle was to claim the four fortified villages of Beaumont-Hamel, Serre, Saint-Pierre-de-Vion, and Beaucourt. As the winter weather became more and more severe and the tactical situation didn't really justify the 22,000 casualties, General Haig shut down the offensive. This saw the Battle of the Somme come to a close on the 19th of November 1916, 141 days after it began. This means that, on average, there were over 8,000 American, German and or French casualties every day during the Battle of the Somme. By the end of the Battle of the Somme, Germany officially had the most casualties with an estimated 450,000 casualties. Along the, on, alongside these German casualties, Britain ended the battle with a further 430,000 casualties. These two numbers combined with the 200,000 French casualties, but the number well over one, 1 million. Despite the fact that they had a small role in the battle, New Zealand, the New Zealand division suffered 7,408 casualties in 23 days, meaning roughly one in seven New Zealanders died and four in 10 were injured. Although the battle could have gone better for Britain and France, they did manage to force the Germans to retreat to the Hindenburg Line in 1917, inflicting serious damage on the German positions in France. This would benefit the Allied powers greatly later on and help them defeat the German forces in 1918. Did that march as the law would you down? Did the band play the last post in chorus? And did the pipes play the flowers of the fall? The penultimate flashback is brought to you by Thomas D. Michel, who studied Stalin's Great Purge. Stalin's Great Purge, or the Great Terror, was the period during Stalinist Russia where he had numerous political opponents, army generals, and citizens opposing his ideology executed as enemies of the state. The purge was carried out between the years of 1936 and 1939. It ended because Stalin needed the rest of his army to protect Russia during World War II. Estimates vary, but most experts say that 750,000 people were executed, and more than 1 million other people were sent to the gulags during this time. But before we get into all of that, we first must know what is a purge, does the following information provide any proof that this should be called a purge? A purge is to remove a group of people considered undesirable from an organisation or place in an abrupt or violent way. When Stalin got into power in 1929 and declared himself a dictator, it became apparent to him that anyone with ties to the Bolshevik party or Lenin's government were a threat to him and needed to go. The first event of the Great Purge was the assassination of Sergei Kirov in 1934. Kirov was murdered at the Communist Party headquarters by Leonid Nikolaev, but many speculate that it was Stalin who had issued the order of assassination. Using Kirov's death, Stalin launched his purge after claiming he uncovered a dangerous conspiracy of anti-Stalinist communists. Kirov's death led to three widely publicised trials known as the Moscow Trials. These trials managed to successfully wipe out many of Stalin's political rivals and critics. Several former high-ranking communists, including Lev Kamenev, Grigory Zinoviev, 
Nikolai Bukharin and Alexei Rykov, to name a few, were accused of treason. The trials had been clearly staged and it was discovered that the accused's confessions only came about after being interrogated, tortured and threatened. Stalin used the term fifth column to describe those who he sought to execute. It started out with members of the Bolshevik party, political members and military personnel, but eventually the purge had expanded to include peasants, ethnic minorities, artists, scientists, intellects, writers, foreigners and ordinary citizens. As well, convinced that there was a coup, Stalin had 30,000 Red Army soldiers executed. Experts say that around 81 of the 103 admirals and generals were executed. Genrik Grigorievich Yagoda was the director of the NKVD. He was placed in this role from 1934 to 1936. He was entrusted by Stalin in killing all of those who were sentenced to death as well as leading the secret police. After he dealt with his lax executions, Stalin started to wonder that he might turn against him. So out of paranoia, Stalin ordered Nikolai Yezov to kill Genrik Yagoda. After the executions of Genrik, Nikolai Yezov was placed in charge of the killings as well, as the NKDB, from 1936 to 1939. By 1939, Stalin had started to pour his attention to the war, and thus ended the purge by ordering Nikolai to finish off the last of his executions, and then had Nikolai shot, thus removing the last show of the purge. Even though the bulk of the killings were all done by 1939, the purge itself didn't finish until Leon Trotsky was murdered. He was checked down to Mexico, where he was in exile, and killed by a Spanish commentator using an ice pick. Trotsky was a long-term rival of Stalin's, so it was believed that this event was his ultimate goal for the purge. Thus, having reviewed the information that I presented, I believe that Stalin's actions from 1936 to 1938 were considered to be a purge. Our final flashback is going to be on the history of football by Mikey Yar and Jack O'Sullivan. Hi, I'm Mikey. Hi, my name is Jack. We've decided to do our show on the history of football. We decided to do this as Mikey and I both love football. I support Man United and Mikey supports Liverpool. Today we will talk about the first forms of football and how it grew and developed into the game that is today. I started playing football when I was four in England. When I was five, I moved to Ireland and started playing for Cabin Teeley. I enjoyed it very much, but unfortunately I had to stop playing in first year because of rugby. I still play with my friends at lunch though. The earliest known football, form of football is the Chinese competitive game Kuju, as stated by FIFA. It existed during the Han Dynasty and possibly the Hin Dynasty in the 2nd and 3rd centuries before Christ. The Japanese version of Kuju is called Kamari. It was developed during the Asuka period. In Kamari, several, several people stand in a circle and kick the ball to each other, trying not to let the ball hit the ground, much like keepy uppies. It's very interesting to see how the game has developed today. The earliest reference to the game called football is in 1314, when the mayor of London, Nicolas de Farndon, tried to ban the game. This was written in, Fren in French. It is interesting to see that people originally tried to ban the game of football, but this was because the early form of football was much more rough and violent. This caused the game of football to be banned for many centuries, but it returned in the 17th century to the streets of London. The first time that the football was referenced in English was then was when King Henry IV banned the payment of money to play or compete in football. By now, football was played across the country and it could not be banned. This version of football was quite similar to rugby and the rules were often changed depending on where you were playing. This was normally, there was normally more than 20 players on each team and these games were called damage to the towns and sometimes death. What we know is that the first ever official game of football was played on the 9th of December 
1834. It was between Eton School and Harrow School. Football was mainly played by the public schools in England, meaning the private schools in Ireland, but it spreaded rapidly. An attempt to create proper rules for the game was done at a meeting in Cambridge in 1848, but by the end of the meeting, questions of rules was not achieved, so there were still no official rules. Another important event of, of the history of football was in 1863 in London, when the first football association was formed in England. It was decided that carrying the ball with the hands wasn't allowed. The meeting also resulted, resulted in standardisation of the size and weight of the ball. Because of the London meeting, the game was divided into two goats, codes, association football and association rugby. This was a very important meeting in the development of football into the game that we know today. The oldest professional club is Notts County. It was founded in 1862. Notts County is still a football club today and they play in the National Football League. More football clubs were founded during the industrial era as more groups of people met at places such as factory, pubs and churches. The game expanded as British people travelled to other parts of the world, especially in South America, interest became huge. As football grew throughout the world, FIFA was founded in 1904. Domestic leagues now occurred in, in many countries, with the first starting in England in 1888. In 1908, football was included as an official sport in the Olympic Games, and until the World Cup was played in 1930, the Olympic Games was ranked as the most prestigious game on international level. Football is the most popular sport in the world today, with there are more than 140 leagues in the world with 480 divisions. 21 of those leagues are professional. There are 5,600,000 5, professional players in the world. The highest paid player is Messi, who makes $100 million a year. It's funny how football went from being banned in France to being one of the best paying jobs in the world. Thank you. Count is brought to you by Clement Schmidt, who studied the fall of Rome. It's not possible to say that one reason was the trigger of West Rome's fall. There are many different reasons. Let us examine them now. The barbarian revolt. One of the reasons for the collapse of the West Rome Empire has to do with a series of defeats against external forces. For centuries, Rome was involved in wars against Germanic tribes, but it was not until the, the year 300 that the barbarians, such as the Goths, managed to invade the empire. The Romans put down. Uh, fuck. The Romans put down an attack by the Titans in the late four. First century, but the first ten, the Visigothic king uh, Alaric, uh, successfully captured the city of Rome. The empire span. Uh, what the fuck? Shit. <laughs> 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 we the empire spent the next several decades under constant read before the extern eternal city was attacked again in 455. The time by the Vandals in 476, the Germanic officer 
Odoacer led a revolt uh, and deposed the last emperor of the West Rome Empire, Romulus Augustus. Since there was never Another Roman emperor after that, many see the year 476 as the end of the West Roman Empire. The next uh, problem for the Romans was uh, were economic problems and uh, overestimation of the slave labor. Also, Rome uh, was often attacked by foreign foreign forces. It also broke up because of problems inside the country. It was due to several financial crises, the ongoing wars and high expenditures and seriously weakened the empire's treasury. The constant uh, tax hikes and inflation had widened the gap between rich and poor. In the hope of avoiding tax payments, Payments uh, man, many uh, weekly citizens of Rome and had fled uh, to the countryside and established uh, independent fiefs there. Okay. At the same time, the empire was short of manpower. Rome's econ economic strength depended on the slaves to work the, uh, who worked the land and were awarded in crafts. Through the many military success, Rome was able to turn many defeated pe uh, peoples into serfs. But then the expansion did not advance future the second century. The supply of slaves and other spoils of war dried up. Another low point came in the 5th century when Wendells claimed northern Africa for themselves and made the Mediterranean unsafe as pirates. With the un uncertain economic situation and agriculture in this decline, the empire lost its power over Europe. So another point is the rise of the Eastern Empire. The fate of the Western Roman Empire was particularly sealed in the uh, 3rd century when Emperor Kytoclane split the empire into two with Milan in the west and Byzantium Byzantium, later Constantinople in the east. The division made the empire more manageable in the short term, but in the long term led to an alienation of the two parts. East and west did not manage to fight external threats together and often argued over resources and military aid. The game widened as swiftly grew in Greek-speaking East, while the Latin uh, West faced serious economic problems. The, strange, uh, the strength of the East Roman Empire made even the barbarian invasions possible. For example, Emperor Constantine made sure that the city of Constantinople was well fo fortified and guarded, but Italy and the city of Rome, which for many in the East were only symbolic, retained vu uh, vulnerable. The West political structure finally distigated in the 5th century. The Eastern Empire, whoever existed for another thousand years before it fell victim, to the Ottoman Empire. Expansions and high military spending. At its height, the Roman Empire stretched for the Atlantic and Eurothrace in the Middle East, but uh, its size can, can also be seen as its downfall. 
ruling uh, such a large area is administrative and logistical nightmare. Despite an ex excellent road system, the Romans were unable to communicate effectively or properly managed their holdings. Rome was constantly busy, rarely enough troops and resources to defeat its borders against local rebellions and outside attacks. In the second century, the emperor Hadrian was forced to build his famous wall in Br Britain to keep their enemies at bay. More and more funds were used for military maintenance, while technology advances road was slowed down with fatal consequences for the Rome's civil infrastructure, corrupt government and political instability. If, it's, if the size of Rome made it, difficulty, uh, made it difficult to rule, ineffect and inconsequent leadership greatly exacerbated the problem. Being a Rome emperor was always a dangerous business, but it almost a death sentence since uh, during the tumultuous second and third century. A civil war had thrown the empire into chaos, and more than 20 men extended the throne during the following 75 years. Unusually, after the murder of the respective professor, even the Praetorani guard, actually the emperor's personal bodyguard, murdered and uh, will appointed new rulers. Once the throne was even auctioned for the highest bidder. The political rottenness also extended to the Roman Senate, which could not contain the excesses because of its own corruption and incompetence. As, as the situation worsened, many Roman citizens completely lost confidence in their leadership. Arrival of the Huns and the great migration of the barbarian tribes. The barbarian attacks on Rome were caused in part by the Huns invading Europe in the late 4th century. When these Eurasian warriors warned northern Europe, many Germanic tribes migrated to the borders of the Roman Empire. The Romans all allowed the Visigothics to safely cross the area south of the Dunabe, but treated them extremely cruel, according to her. Historian, um, uh, according to historian Aminus Machelius, Roman officials even forced the hungry Goths to sell their children as slaves in exchange for dark meat. In his brutal treatment, the Roman created a dangerous enemy with their own borders. When their expression could not longer be endured, the Goths rose will up in revolt, defeat the Roman army, and finally murdered Emperor Valens in the Battle of Andreopol in 378. The shocked Roman negoticated uh, a fragile peace with the barbarians, but the armistice was broken in 410, when the Gothic king Arlic conquered the West and, and saved Rome. Since the West West Rome Empire was greatly weakened, it was easy for Germanic tribes, such as the Vandals or the Saxons, to come over the bar borders and occupy Britain, Spain and North Africa. Thank you very much for listening to 5-Minute Flashbacks presented by Foreign History. A special thanks to our teacher, Miss Harlow, who helped with research and script writing. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new.